back to our story. My name is Matt Stone here with Dr. Phil Schrader. Phil, how are you doing? Doing great. Good to be with you today. Good to be with you too. This is the story of Dunwoody United Methodist Church as we enter the third week of our series, Building Community. Um, but before we get to the the text for this week, which is James 3, we got a special Sunday this Sunday. It's a great Sunday, and one of the ways that we build community as a church is by reading from the same book. And we teach children to do that by giving them third grade Bibles. That's right. It's third grade Bible Sunday. If you grew up in church, you probably remember this. You probably have some experience with it. If you're new to church, this is one of the things that we do as a, as a Christian community is we pass on what we believe is the word of God to the next generation. And uh, we often will talk about that as a spiritual formation act. This week, it's a physical act. We're literally giving them a copy of the Bible so that they'll have their own as they grow into themselves. And, uh, you know, I think this ends up being a, an important day in the lives of a lot of people. I know it was important for me. Uh, I can remember on uh, September, let's see, let me... You have the here. exact date in your Bible. That's right. September 23rd of 1990 uh, is when I received uh, a Bible from my third grade church, Pollard Memorial United Methodist Church in Tyler, Texas. Charles Milliken was the pastor there, and uh, they gave me a third grade Bible, and it happens to be the Bible that traveled with me uh, through high school, and uh, I didn't read much of it before then, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of reading for me going on between third grade and high school, but in high school, I did start reading the Bible. Uh, it traveled with me through college. Uh, it went with me to seminary. This is the Bible that traveled with me in early marriage and in the first days of my ministry and continues to be the Bible that I preach out of. So all of that traces back to September 23rd, 1990. It looks like you write in your Bible. and I can see highlights. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's funny. I can tell uh, about how old I was when I made a particular comment based <laughs> on how messy the handwriting was. Uh, there, was a, there was a time where all I did was highlight. I, I thought that highlighting would be the key to reading the Bible. And so uh, there are some books uh, in my Bible <laughs> that are heavily highlighted and then large swaths that Does have not been Does the color touched. of highlighting mean something? Uh, whatever I had at, at, at the moment. Uh, nearby. But uh, then there are other times when I write notes in the margin. There are times that I underline. There are times that I bracket. Uh, I've really just kind of used it. I've got arrows on this page for James 4. Um, and it, it really, uh, I want to say something about it, it became my own. And, right. and I used it in different ways in different seasons of life. And uh, I don't mean to say that I own the Word of God, but I mean to say that this gift from a church uh, became part of my journey. And, and part uh, of you. Yeah, and part of me, and central to both my journey and me. And uh, and so you never know. You never know what might happen starting this Sunday for some of our kids here at this church. Uh, it, it may be that they receive this book this Sunday and don't touch it for 10 years. That's more or less what yeah, happened that's with right. me. Yeah. They may not touch it for 10 years, but at just the right time, they may look over and see this book on their shelf. Uh, and, and likewise, it, it's it's possible that starting next week, they begin reading and engaging uh, uh, the scripture in a way that they hadn't before and becomes part of their lifelong journey of faith. So it's really one of my favorite days of the, of the entire year. And that's one of the reasons we've uh, chosen the, a specific Bible, the, the CEB, which is a contemporary English version that will help 
children more easily engage words and the text that may not be easy for them. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the reason that I didn't read much of my Bible between third grade and high school was because the New Revised Standard Version, which is what my church yes, gave me yes. back in the day, uh, I've grown to love it and cherish it. But as a kid, I, I got to tell you, it was, I may as well have been reading Shakespeare in third grade because it was just an older way of speaking. And it, I wasn't accustomed to reading those words. So I love that we're giving our kids, our third graders, something that I think will be a lot more accessible to them. And uh, certainly as they grow, they may look to a different translation. But uh, in this season of their life, I think it's a great choice. And yet if you come to visit our church, you'll notice that we've pulled the CEBs out of the pews. They used to be the uh, Pew Bible, and they were the Pew Bible before we got here. And before that, years before, it was the new RSV. And I've asked them to replace the CEBs in our pews with the new RSV because you and I are so immersed in the new RSV in the way we preach. Yeah, and it's helpful certainly to read the read the same same thing that uh, that's uh, being used up at the front. So, what gave you permission to write in your Bible? I remember a time when I would never have considered writing in my third grade Bible. You know, that's a good question, Phil. I'm trying to remember this this practice started for me when I was on a mission trip in ninth grade. Huh. I, that's when it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, the summer after my ninth grade year. I went to Venezuela with my church youth group, and um, at not not coincidentally, um, it was that trip that really introduced me to the notion of a relationship with God. I think yeah. previous to that, church was largely about behavior. It was about values. None of those things are bad, but I hadn't really considered any relational component to faith. And it was on that trip that um, that I was introduced to that idea, largely by working through different passages in the Bible. And some adult told me, you're going to want to highlight this so that you can come back to it and find it later. And I thought, well, shoot, that's a good idea. I'll never find this if I don't mark it. Right. And and that's what started me. And, you know, I moved from highlighting to writing little notes in the margins or uh, underlining this or that. And uh, I think that's how it started. And for me, you know, that's how you really know that a book is yours when you've made notes. I, I don't read a book very often without a pen in hand. Mm -hmm. I'm always, you know, marking something, writing something. Uh, I read a couple of books this weekend, one about 9-11. And uh, just kind of getting ready for the anniversary coming up this weekend. And it was the story of all those planes that landed in Gander, Newfoundland, and mm. how the people there ha had such welcoming spirits and such incredible hospitality for these people who were so disoriented and were landing at their airport because they were not allowed to go to their final destination. Yeah, and so you were marking marking it up, huh? Marking it up, and just as I read through it, and that's the way it just kind of gets into my heart and my brain that uh, this text becomes a part of me. Yeah. So it's been very freeing to be able to do that in a Bible. But early on, that was something uh, that was considered. Yeah, how dare you mess with a sacred text? <laughs> yeah, I, I I know I know that sentiment. I, I I grew up in the same sentiment, and I think it was permission giving. It's interesting, though, to look back in different seasons at the different kinds of passages that stood out to me uh, and the different notes. And it's funny in particular to read the notes because I wrote a lot more in the margins, I think, probably late high school, early college. 
and uh, I wasn't nearly as smart as I thought I was. Um, but it's interesting to go back and read those notes and consider how much I've grown right. and, and consider the, the journey that I've been on. So, Well, this week we turn to taming the tongue, not taming the pen or taming the keyboard, but sometimes some of us may need to learn how to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. So James chapter 3 is full of really well-known phrases. Oh, yeah? definitely. Yeah. So we're moving into the third week of this series. We've been working our way through the letter of James. We looked at uh, chapter one. We looked at chapter two. Now we're going to spend a couple weeks in, in chapter three. We'll look at the first half of chapter three this week, second half of chapter three, and the beginning of chapter four next week. But uh, this, certainly this first part is uh, is a well-known well known to history. It may not be well known to each individual, but it's well known to history. So many famous phrases. But uh, Phil, take us on a journey. Help us get ready for for this Sunday. What do we need to be thinking about? Well, you see the phrase happens several times. It's a pay attention phrase there in the book of James, translated sometimes brothers, sometimes brothers and sisters. And that's how the whole thing begins. You kind of know you're starting a new section. My brothers and my sisters. And it begins with a warning about being a teacher. <laughs> I always chuckle at this line. I, I think I think maybe I didn't know this, uh, this <laughs> verse. Yeah. Not many of you should become teachers because... We know that we teachers will be judged more strictly, held to a higher standard. I, yeah, maybe we should just skip that part. It, not a great one for teacher recruitment Sunday. Yeah, I. I'm, it's interesting. I, I don't know about you, Phil. It feels. Um, it feels a little bit out of the blue. Yes, and, and, and it feels a little disconnected from what came before and what comes after. Well, I'm not sure it's as disconnected for me from what comes after, after studying it so much in recent days, because for me, it feels like this warning about the tongue is especially uh, pertinent to those who spend their time teaching with the tongue. And so it's not just a general um, warning about how to use your tongue. It's Mm -hmm. about teachers. Yeah, it, it makes not me just think, about teachers. It, it, it makes me think that something went wrong with a teacher in one of those communities that James is writing to. Oh, there, it had to. There yeah. had to be issues with the teacher, and uh, they're well, they're well. That's good news then, because that means it's not about us, it, right? He's not talking about us. He's talking about some other teacher. That's right. We're not going to be judged with greater strictness. He's talking about somebody else. Uh, wish that were true. Oh. Uh, oh, okay. it, it is. It is a reflection on all of us who somehow boldly and at the same time with great humility try to say a word to others yeah well as we've seen throughout chapters one and two james doesn't hold much back no james goes right after it uh in this kind of equine wind and fire passage (laughs) where he says we all make mistakes often but those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity And then he goes on with these great images like a bridled horse, how a small thing can control the whole horse, Uh, the rudder of a ship, how uh, a small thing can control the whole ship as the wind blows the ship around. Um, That small gust of wind, the, the rudder can take you in different directions. And then he goes on this thing about fire and how a whole a small fire can set the entire forest on fire, as we've seen uh, in the western areas of our country in recent days. 
Yeah, James clearly thinks much of uh, the power of words. And I'll tell you, Phil, I never read this passage without thinking of some of the lower moments in my life. Um, and, and I remember, you know, even back in fourth grade, uh, I remember, a, a classmate of mine, um, calling me some names Yeah, and it was amazing to me to think back years after this, 20 years after this, at the way those words shaped my identity for so many years, what she said was the truth for me. Right. And I guarantee she has no recollection of those words. It was such a small thing to her. Right. Uh, it, it, there was no thought there uh, or, 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 or power that she knew of to those words. It was such a small thing that carried such an outsized weight. And that, that to me, speaks to exactly what James is talking about. James would never have said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt. Yeah. He would have said, words can wound forever. Yeah, yeah. Words have a way of speaking into being things that aren't true. Right. Uh, And and certainly they have an equally, if not greater, power for good. But uh, to dismiss the capacity of words to shape reality is, uh, I think, a grave mistake. And I think that's where, where James is headed. And they bring, you know, with them both the power to hurt and the power to heal. We struggle. Uh, with our tongues. Uh, it wouldn't be such a passage that resonates with so many people. A couple of weeks ago, we uh, talked about, you know, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out of them. Yeah. And I think you hear echoes of this. In fact, that is the lectionary passage in Mark that we kind of moved a few weeks back to kind of be part of our Mark 6, 7, and 8. Uh, the Mark passage this week would tie into that. It's not what comes out of a person, uh, well, not what goes into a person, but what comes out of them and, and how easy it is for something to come out of us without us even thinking about it. Yeah, I, I want to draw just, I want to take a quick aside uh, in verse 9 real quick. With, with the tongue, James says, with the tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God, right? Made in the image of God. It it takes me back to James 2. Oh, it's, I really, and, you know, uh, as I was talking about it this week, I talked about your sermon and how this piece right here is so tied into your sermon about partiality last week. Yeah, it's exactly what it made me think of too, Phil. And, and I think it reinforces what's on James's mind is... Uh, the ability to see the image of God in the community around us and each individual in our community and treat them accordingly. Right. And the tongue is one of the primary weapons or tools for blessing, uh, instruments for blessing that we have at our disposal. How dare you call yourself a Christian and show partiality to the people made in the image of God? Yeah. Yeah, and he keeps coming back to that well, doesn't he? Oh, he does it again next week. We'll be talking about that again next week. He goes back to partiality and hypocrisy. This must have been such an issue in the church of that time, like it's not in the church of this time. Yeah. But it must have been such an issue that he has to hammer it home (laughs) over and over and over again. Yeah. And then, and I think towards uh, verses 11 and 12, one of the interesting things that James says here is, the tongue can kind of help us reverse engineer, right? If you think about our words are outward signs, right? These are outward actions. If I speak something out loud, then that's an outward action. But James talks about how that outward action 
reveals what's actually inside. And so our words can become a powerful tool for self-reflection. Does that make sense? It will help us to see more clearly what's inside. If I'm speaking or spewing forth anger in my words, that ought to be a sign to me to consider what's happening inside that's causing this outward uh, expression of anger. Yeah, there's something going on with the state of one's heart, with the state mm-hmm. of one's mind, when we can't control our words and when we use those words to be so hateful or pointed, uh, those words come from a source. Yeah. Well, I, there's uh, there's a lot to think about here. Uh, I can't wait to see how this particular passage kind of plays with our third grade Bibles and giving the word of God to uh, the children of God this week uh, and talking about the words we speak that can either bless uh, the community around us and bless God or um, harm and cause harm. Uh, I think it'll be a fun week. I, I want to I ask a question that's related to this weekend, uh, not necessarily related to James 3, but I'm, I'm curious about it, Phil, because I don't know that you and I have talked about this. 20 years since 9-11. It's hard to believe that it's been that long. Um, I know you referenced some books that you've been reading to kind of uh, prepare for that um, anniversary and remembrance. Uh, where were you? Where were you on, on 9-11? Um, I had gone to uh, a lectionary group. Uh-huh. I uh, had a it was Tuesday morning, uh, yeah. as I recall, and it was a Tuesday morning group that I met at the Canon United Methodist Church, and we started hearing uh, about something that had happened. So I rushed back to the church that I was serving. We pulled a TV out of the preschool area and started watching that and trying to figure out where everybody was. My brother uh, was supposed to be flying that day. My wife had driven into Atlanta, and we were like, you need to get out of Atlanta. You need to come out back out to the suburbs where we are. Uh, It's going to be dangerous in town. We just didn't know so much. Uh, And how about you? Yeah, I was a sophomore at the University of Texas, and I was was still asleep when, um, when news started to come out. I got a call from my mother. And uh, went uh, went down the hall to a friend uh, uh, to a friend's apartment, and uh, the two of us watched it. And uh, I remember the same. My parents calling me, saying similar things. I was in the capital of Texas. We didn't know, right? No, nobody no knew idea what was next. Yeah, this is the beginning of what. Nobody knew the end of that sentence. That's right. And uh, yeah, I remember it being a, uh, a frightening experience, and knowing. Knowing that this fundamentally changed the American experience for my generation, I, I remember having a distinct impression even that morning that this was a generation-defining moment, and um, unfortunately, I was not wrong about that. But interesting that that it's twenty years. Hard to believe that it's been twenty years um, this Saturday. Phil, thanks for uh, for another week of our story. We're excited about this Sunday, excited about third grade Bibles. Is there anything else that we need to do to get ready for worship this Sunday? I just ask you to continue to read James, uh, spend some time with it, ponder it, uh, read through the whole letter again if you have time. All right, sounds good. We, we hope to see you here this Sunday at 8.30, 9 o'clock or 11.15. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody UMC. 
Visit us online at DunwoodyUMC.org and join us for online or in-person worship every Sunday. Join us inside at 8.30 a.m. for worship in the chapel, at 9 a.m. for contemporary worship in the sanctuary, or 11.15 a.m. for traditional worship in the sanctuary. As COVID cases and hospitalizations rise throughout Georgia, DUMC will require all people, regardless of vaccination status, to wear masks while in indoor public spaces. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to see our videos on YouTube. Finally, visit us online and click sign up for emails under the Connect tab to get announcements delivered to your inbox every week. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours. 